Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Doug Howard, Senior Consultant of Remodelers Advantage. Uncertainty, economics, slower processes, there are a lot of outside factors that are impacting pre-construction and construction workflow, and therefore your profitability. Remodeling company owners need to not accept these conditions, but develop the strategies and practices to overcome them. Doug is here to help you do just that, and you'll hear all about it in just a minute. You had me at hello. It looks like a miracle. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Hi, this is Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Hi there. Hi, how are you? Awesome. You know, we're in the midst of roundtable meetings. They're so exciting, and we're hearing all sorts of cool things that are going on. But we're also hearing about some of the challenges our members face. Well, our guest today is going to be sharing some of that cool stuff with us. It's going to be good. You know, facilitating roundtables meetings gives you such an inside look into what's happening to the marketplace as a whole. It's great to have uh, a finger on the pulse of the uh, industry, isn't it? And that's what Remodelers Advantage is all about. So let's get started. Start away. Doug has been a senior consultant with Remodelers Advantage since 2017 and facilitates eight roundtable meetings every year. He's worked with several hundred remodeling clients to help them develop strategy, understand financials, improve processes, and enhance profitability. Hey, Doug, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Glad to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. So today, we're talking a little bit about what throughput, pre-construction, thinking ahead, starting to think upstream. Tell us, what have you been seeing as you've been diving into the intimate details of dozens and dozens of companies? What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing our members and remodelers going into next year? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge really is the flow of of work coming out of pre-construction into construction. You know, for a lot of folks, 2023 uh, was a good year, but for a lot of them, it was not the year they thought it was going to be. And a big part of it was we sold enough and we could have built enough, but we couldn't get enough into production uh, because of different slowdowns and things like that. And because of some of the news that's out there, I think a lot of people are already preparing for sort of an underperforming 2024 And that's not a great way to start the year. No, for sure. So you talked about slowdowns and delays and a bunch of things. So what are you seeing as the causes for that lack of throughput? Sure. I think the single biggest cause is really not identifying the power of pre-construction for most of these companies, right? For our folks, if you ask somebody who's in charge of sales, they can tell you. And if you ask somebody who's in charge of production, they can tell you. And then if you ask them who's in charge of pre-construction, you either get no name or like seven names. (laughs) And, you know, we we talk about the sales to production handoff, and that's still an important component. But I think for some people, they think, you know, someone packages it up and throws it over the wall, and then someone grabs it and goes and builds it. And the reality is, is that, you know, how that pre-construction process goes and how much interaction there is between pre-con and the production team really determines, you know, how that flow goes. Pre-construction needs to remember its only purpose is to keep that production engine going at a pace that's going to make us profitable. So define pre-construction for us. So to me, it's everything that happens from the time we've got the sale, whether it's a design agreement or into the design process, all the way up into demo day uh, for the construction team, right? So it's everything that includes um, estimating, 
going from that ballpark price down to a specific number usually involves getting the construction agreement done, but then all the design, the revisions, the product ordering, everything right up until, uh, you know, handing that to the production team to do their thing. So what are some examples of ways that people could improve this pre-construction process? But even before that, okay, let's say there's the seven people involved. Are there specific bottlenecks that you're seeing? I think the most challenging one really is design. Most most folks work through estimating now, sometimes a little bit inaccurately, but but they work through estimating because they got to get that number to get the construction agreement. But when we have stuff in design, usually it's a you know designer or a design team, and not really through any fault of their own, but they just have multiple projects they're working on. Um, and when I ask them how they prioritize, some are still working first in, first out. Some are, doing mm-hmm. a little, some are doing a little bit on everybody every day. Some wait to see who's screaming at them, <laughs> right? But the reality is we should be backing into the launch date for the construction project to say, okay, this is the priority because by this date, this project has to be ready to go to keep production working at that pace that's going to keep them profitable. So I think that's the biggest challenge. It's an even bigger challenge when people are using outside designers and outside architects. Uh-huh. Because the feeling is, well, I gave it to them. There's not much I can do. We're seeing some people really manage that process really well. Like, hey, Joe, the architect, you're working on four projects for us. If you're going to spend any time on our stuff this week, this is the one that needs to be moving forward most, you know. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people just aren't even having those conversations. Right. So, okay. so besides having those conversations and focusing on the projects that are the what the easiest, the fastest to get into production, what are some other ways they can improve this pre-construction process? Well, I think some of it is really just a matter of streamlining the process. You know, sometimes we ask the first seven things that we need to get ordered and get those squared away and we'll come back for more selections later on. When in fact, maybe there's more that we could accomplish with fewer meetings. Maybe we don't have to have three or four selection meetings. Maybe we can get it down to three by just streamlining, which doesn't sound like a lot. And it's not the meeting itself, but it's all the coordination that goes back and forth. Um, It's some of the things that we learn even just in the sales process, right? Like set the time of your next appointment, your next follow-up. I can't tell you how many people I talked to in the middle of August that were trying to get jobs in for the fall. And they'd call and find out that their customer was in Italy for two weeks, <laughs> right? Well, that customer didn't decide to go to Italy that morning. So right. asking the question, like over the next four or five weeks, when we're really going to need you, are you out of pocket? Because we could have gone out two days earlier before they left for Italy, gotten those answers and been working on it while they were right. away. Right. You know, it's just the fundamentals of staying on top of our game. And I think there's a belief that, you know, so much is out of our control. I think our best performers, and you know, you see it all the time, they're the ones that say, if there are more things out of my control, I'm going to be twice as good at the things that I do control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Okay, great. Uh, other examples of ways to improve? Communicating with your clients, yeah. uh, controlling the design. What else? I, I think just very specific customer expectations too. You know, it's, it's you know, when we start a process, hey, these are milestone dates we're going to need to hit. Let's go ahead and set your time right now or go into the showroom, or, you know, we generally do two revisions, maybe three, but sometimes we say like, we'll design it until you're happy. Well, for the customer, that could sound like 17 revisions. Yes. You know? And so then all of a sudden pre-con is feeling the pressure of something that sales kind of set up 
as a false expectation. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I think those things are, are really important. Another big part is just understanding the predecessor activities. When we set internal milestones, internal deadlines, and you know we've been giving the clients a tool to use that where they can put in the launch date, and we and it measures like the seven or eight things that they have to do to get to that launch date, and it backs into a set of internal deadlines. Well, when people have those internal deadlines, it's a lot easier for them to look at it and say, okay, well, this has to happen this week. So I meet that deadline. Mm -hmm. And so, again, uh, I think a lot of it is just really, really good communication. The other big piece is getting production involved in these discussions early on. Uh, Things that that are easy to miss in estimating, things that are Mm -hmm. easy to leave out of a design, or things that are easy when someone gets to production that says, well, that's not the best way to do that. When those conversations are happening after the design's done and after the customer's been given a fixed price, they become much bigger challenges than saying no. So, uh, and this came up in our last roundtable meeting, and it was a, one of the funnier skits that I've seen of people presenting to each other. But uh, two of our uh, really colorful members uh, exhibited a relay race or demonstrated a relay race. Because I kept saying, this isn't like tossing it over the wall. When you watch a relay race, right? Mm-hmm. They run side by side for a period of time at the same speed and literally put that baton from one hand into the other. Mm-hmm. So when you think about pre-construction and production, they're not just something that happens before the other. There's a period of time they need to run together on that. Mm-hmm. That's a great analogy. I like that one a lot. Yeah, And when they have that handoff, it's like firmly take those things we've decided, put it in the hand of production. It also makes it much less likely that production is going to come back and say, hey, this wasn't our fault. Right, right not about the blame. Um, And we like to point out that on these projects, we don't win or lose by department. We win or lose as a company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll hear people say, well, you know, that job was a, you know, a nightmare, but uh, production did what it was supposed to, or pre-con, you know, did a great job. And it's like, well, there aren't too many teams that walk off a field and say we lost, but the offense won. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, so Doug, you, you mentioned early on about uh, either, Remodelers will not have a name for someone that owns the process, or they'll have 10 names that they throw at you. Everybody owns the process. And clearly, if everybody owns a process, nobody does, right? right? So who do you how do you help them through that? Who do you recommend owns the process? And and what does that look like? Sure. And I think it's one of three things. If a company's big enough um, and, and can can afford it, a pre-construction manager is great. Someone that has really, you know, taken that. Uh, process from sales over to production, overseeing the schedules, working with that architect, uh, doing those kinds of things. If not, someone on the pre-construction team, and it can really be anybody. For some people, it's an estimator. For some, it's a lead designer. But that person is sort of like um, they're working in their role, but they're also taking responsibility for the pre-construction schedule. So they are kind of a little bit elevated, maybe part of the leadership team. If that's not the right approach, then we're at least you know looking for people to put a pre-construction coordinator in there. Now, this isn't a senior level role. This is more of a you know a kind of a support role, but it's also someone that says my job is to keep uh, a close watch on that schedule, let somebody know when things are falling behind. But one of those three scenarios says that either at a very senior level or at an operating level or a support level, somebody's watching the schedule, setting priorities communicating with production, that kind of thing. Yeah, just a quick follow, because, you know, I love you're the king of analogy and I love analogy. <laughs> and one of your big analogies is often to use um, flying planes and, and you know, 
being a versus, pilot and all that kind of thing yeah. versus, versus versus what kind of planes besides flying planes. you can fly a helicopter <laughs> oh, how about that how about that <laughs> yeah, little okay, smart sorry just had to, yeah. <laughs> smart right. so anyway uh and you know it's funny because in aviation a big thing so I, I watch actually i was just watching last night uh air disasters which is always fun to watch before you get on a of a plane i like when they show them on the plane yeah that's that's good too but uh but you know one of the big things is the pre-flight checklist right and they're they have to go through and and this is an industry that's built on checklists do you find that uh remodelers are using checklists and and how's that working that's a great question mark i feel like most of our folks have great checklists and they're nicely tucked away in a binder somewhere or <laughs> hard drive somewhere right you know when, when the immediate reaction to finding out that we have a problem or a challenge or going through process improvement or maybe a job autopsy is we add something to the checklist right and then you ask people like where are the checklists when do you look at them how do you train how do you use them and a lot of folks um it's it's not right in front of them so I think a big part of, and, and it's funny because sometimes people bring us in to, to look at their processes. I need more processes. And someone on the team will say, well, haven't we already done this? And you dig a little deeper and you find they've got processes. They just haven't really been following them. Or maybe during COVID or in post mm-hmm. when we had all the surge of activity, eh, we didn't have to be as tight on our sales process or pre-con. So I, I think that's that's a a big part of it. But, you know, you're exactly right, Mark, because, I mean, a pilot could be 20 years a pilot, super experienced. It could be their seventh flight of the day, and they still painstakingly go through that checklist because it's mm-hmm. it's that important. Um, and I think it's a great training tool for, for folks as well, you know. Uh, but uh, so I think they're out there, but I think finding a way to make sure they're in front of folks and they're part of the uh, that handoff and really defining that Um you know, it's as important as the uh, the punch list. You know, mm-hmm. we, should, we should be going from the pre-check all the way through to the punch list mm-hmm. um, with that yeah. level of specificity. Remodeling companies need just like in an airplane cockpit alarms that go off if you didn't do a checklist item. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's exactly right. And then they need to leave you sitting on the runway for hours and hours while they, <laughs> while they figure it out. Right? Yeah. Now, Doug, you talked a bit about internal milestones for that pre-construction process. Can you give us a couple of examples? Yeah. So like, I mean, if we have a job that we know is going to start on December 1st, you know, people know what they need, when permits need to be submitted, when, you know, final revisions need to be done, preliminary drawings, all those things. So a lot of times we'll have somebody spell out their process. And it's interesting when we do that, because usually it takes them a couple iterations to get everybody to agree. But let's say there's 14 steps for pre-construction. On average, you know, we sort of say, okay, this takes four days, this takes a week and a half. And we plug those in. When they put that launch date in, it backs them up. And a lot of times they're like, oh my, we're we're already too far, you know, along, right? Mm-hmm. So is that launch date really realistic? Because I'm sure you guys have heard this, but people will say, well, this used to take, this should be a six-week process, but it's not. It's an eight-week process. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, for a lot of people over the last two years, you know, things that were a six-week process are now an eight-week process, but we're still scheduling them and pricing them like they're a six-week process, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So that's part of it. But when each of those individual deadlines, you know, sort of get defined, and then we can go to the design team and the estimator and give them some advance notice that this is when we're going to need this step in the process, it just allows them to plan much better. Yes. So yes. I like to see a pre-production schedule that's almost as detailed as our production schedule. Mm-hmm. From the designer, the architect, the person submitting the permits, 
should look almost similar to the same schedule we have with the plumber, the electrician, mm-hmm. and the contractor. Yep, and that, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Now, how does team alignment and thinking uh, uh, upstream impact the workflow and profitability? Right. So uh, upstream is a concept I love. It was uh, captured in a book by Dan Heath called Upstream. Um, <laughs> in the first page of the book, he, he shares a uh, story, an, an allegory that's been used in public health for years. So, you know, these two guys are out at a park and there's, a, you know, a stream running through the park. And all of a sudden there's a kid that's, you know, uh, choking, waving their arms, you know, clearly struggling to swim. So the, the guys jump in and grab the kid out of the water and pull him out. And then all of a sudden there's another one and they jump back in the water and they pull that kid out. And by the time this happens the third or fourth time, um, when the fourth kid comes down, one of the uh, you know, the guys jump back in the water to grab the kid and the other one starts running up the hillside. And the one in the water says, where are you going? And he says, I'm going upstream to find out who's throwing these kids in the water. <laughs> now, the story ends with once he gets there, he realizes there's a little footbridge and the guardrail has been broken. So kids are sitting on the edge of it and jumping in the water where they shouldn't. So obviously the message is fix the bridge, right? Fix the guardrail. Or we can spend our days being really, really good at plucking kids out of the water with the concern that if we miss one, it's a big deal. Yeah. So when we look at production, we spend a lot of time plucking kids out of the water. Mm-hmm. We deal with lots of things that could have been dealt with further upstream. So when we share that story and we actually tell this particular story with folks and get them understanding that from the from the time we sell something until the time we start building it, you know, this process is working downstream. And a lot of the problems we experience that show up in production could have been dealt with Mm -hmm. double checking an order or a better scope of work, or even just using the same terminology, which is a challenge in some companies, right? And the nice thing about that is when we start that conversation, it's not about, you know, why did you do me in or why did you do such a poor job on something that's left me this problem? And we've actually, and I love when people do this, they'll say, well, Doug, on this, we went upstream and talked to the architect. And it's using that terminology says, okay, we're getting the fact that it's not just, you know, someone in their role struggling. It's that the process is not making it easier to have it flow all the way through. And when folks get that, they start having much better conversations. Okay. All right. Great. So, and through those conversations, eliminate those issues, making everything go more smoothly and therefore making more money because it's efficient. So like when we do on sites with a company, it is very natural. If we break them into groups for someone to say, let's put the salespeople together. Let's put the pre-con people together and the production people together. And I almost always totally reshuffle the deck. Mm -hmm. The thing we're going to want, we're going to want to work on. I want some representation of each of those groups in the individual projects. Cause when we start talking about why are we going back and doing a rework or why are we struggling with scope of work? It's the interaction between those departments that finds the real clues to, to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. This is really good stuff. So are there any, um, how, how does a company measure this kind of, I mean, are there KPIs? How, how can they measure what's happening? Sure. Yeah. So, Mark, I'm going to go back to your comment about uh, planes that fly, right? So, uh, <laughs> but, um, and we talked about this at the summit, right? I, I tell people, you know, when you first get your pilot's license, you're you're cleared to fly what they call visually rated, right? You can fly mm-hmm. on a clear day as long as the conditions are good. And uh, in kind of a humorous way, I describe what the conditions being clear for a remodeling company are. You know, everybody gets their selections right the first time. Everybody <laughs> covers every idea that they want. With, and, you know, all those. And of course, usually folks are laughing because they experience none of this stuff in the real world. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. 
And so it's not just about being able to fly on a clear day, but as a pilot, you can then get instrument rated, right? Which takes a lot more training. You have to learn what the instruments are, what the acceptable ranges are, and then what do you do when something's not in range? How do you you react in a timely way, but not overreact? You know, how do you know which way you're pointed? And that, and then in that, when you get that rating, you can fly in much more challenging weather. Well, my feeling is most of our folks for, you know, years to come are going to be flying in challenging weather. And so we start looking at what those instruments are, everything from the time we're spending at each stage of pre-production, really true profitability on jobs, actual closing rates on Mm -hmm. lead to prospect, prospect to construction. What I find is people, you know, when people give me a number like 50%, I'm like, you know, that's not a real number, right? Our closing ratio is 50%. Mm-hmm. Literally, because you've been doing this 10 years, if it's not 50 point something, you're not really measuring it, <laughs> right? And so as we dig into it, we find, well, what's, you know, I, I love to ask people like, what's a win? What, what's important for the company? Customer satisfaction. Great. How do we measure it? Well, we survey our customers on a scale of one to 10. and We do it every month or every week. Great. Can you show me the scores for the last month? Well, we don't write the scores down or anything. You know, we don't really keep those scores. It's like, okay. And so the fact is, I think a lot of people, and, and I've bring, been bringing this up in every meeting this fall, sort of measure things, but mm-hmm. don't really measure things. And I like to point out to them in the line of work that we're in, if you sort of measure a two by four and don't really measure it, you probably don't end up with a very good structure. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, which they love when I say but, but the reality is, if it's that important, we need to measure it. And when we do, it's like, oh, well, that's telling us something. So I think there's three or four statistics in marketing. I think there's three or four in, in pre-construction, namely how much time it's taking us at each stage, uh, where we're getting hung up. And then, of course, you know, just profitability um, in production, but really by phase of the job, you know, not just to say, well, we had 3% slippage on that job. Okay. And then at the end, I think someone's got to look at it and say, okay, if we're pricing jobs at 40% and this one came in at 28, did we give up some percentage points in sales? Did we lose some in pre-construction? Like, where's the leak? I mean, imagine a plumber trying to fix a problem and not figuring out where the leak was. And to me, it's like, if we have this, you know, pipe designed for 40% and we're getting down to only getting 28% out the other end, we got a leak somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. So we just got to figure out where it is and fix it. But and it sounds super simple, but if you don't measure anything along the way, it's 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 more of a general discussion. And I think that's yeah. why some people they keep having the same conversations. And I know you guys have seen it, but to me, especially with some groups we've been with for a while, you know, sometimes you see someone making a commitment that they made a couple of years ago. Like they figured this out a couple of years ago and it's gotten away from them again. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very, I think, frustrating for them but it's a good indication that we took our eye off the measure. Right. Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, let's continue the analogy. I think Doug, we're, um, we're getting, we're preparing the plane for landing. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to go into the lightning round. You ready? Yep. And now here's a remodeler's advantage lightning round. It's a trap. All right. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. What is your favorite business book and why? Um, I like good to great. I, I think it really kind of gives the right framework um, for folks at a at a higher level. So that's that's what I always start with. If you weren't a consultant, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, I'd be a tour guide at Mount Vernon. 
<laughs> what are you not very good at? Uh, anything related to construction. <laughs> <laughs> Name a movie you've seen more than 10 times. Oh, Miracle. Awesome. What's, yep. what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, people not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Say again? <laughs> In one word, describe your high school self. Um, hmm, my high school self. Confused. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the reasons you're consulting clients like you so much is because you're funny. Maybe the only reason. We're not even sure the numbers play out. So that was awesome. This is really good. You know, it's fitting right into what I'm seeing also in the roundtable meetings and those interactions, our members. So thank you. But before I let you go, I want you to share your five words of wisdom with our listening audience and share why they resonate with you. Sure. My, My five words are measure what you must improve. Once you decide something's important, you've decided it's a, a critical factor for profitability or success or growth or your own happiness or whatever, uh, the best way to figure out if we're going to be able to do something about it and improve it is is to measure it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so measure what you must improve. All right. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Doug. We appreciate your time. And I know you're off to another roundtable meeting. So have a great one we'll and uh, talk to you again soon. All and right, if, people wanna, if people want to reach out to you, how would they uh, and to pick your brain and actually just might maybe want to find out how funny you are? If they live at a high elevation, they can just go to the mountaintop and scream. I'll hear them. Uh, <laughs> if you want to use technology, uh, Doug at remodelersadvantage.com is the best way. All right, cool. Thanks, Doug. All, All right. right. Thanks. See ya. Bye. That was good stuff. You know, and I think that a lot of people forget just going back to to the basics, but I like the fact that he really focused hard on pre-con. I love the upstream stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that made a lot of sense. You know, just you constantly working downstream on yep. fixing the things that, why, why don't we just go up upstream and, and fix the, the origin of the issue. Right. Instead of cleaning up the, picking out the kids out of the water. You know, one of the things that came to me when he was talking about that was I, I was at a recent roundtable meeting and one of the issues in this particular company was that their construction drawings, every designer did it differently. There were no standards. Oh, no. And so that seems like it could be an easy fix upstream before it got to production and they don't, you know, depending on the designer. Right. You know. Well, like you mentioned, uh, just getting them to everybody using the same terminology. Right. You know? I yes. Mean, that's a perfect example. <laughs> you of- know, that was another good one this last meeting. One of the companies uses uh, terminology that was so unfamiliar to the rest of us, they had to put in a little glossary. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what's that? They said, we put in a glossary. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's that, great. That's that's good stuff. All right. Well, we want to thank Doug for sharing these uh, great insights into the process. And we want to thank you for listening week in and week out. I'm Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. See you next time. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a beautiful day.